You're listening to the Oaks Church, a faith family located in Denham Springs, Louisiana. For more information about the Oaks, visit oaksonline.org. That video was uh, that just played was was made by Josh Gilbo. If you like theological terms, uh, want to grow in your understanding of theological terms, uh, there's a page on Facebook called Theoterm. Can I get it? Theoterm. Go like the page. Um, I think it'll be really good. He has other videos that are great. Um, kind of gives us some ideas of these term terminologies that we use here at the Oaks. Um, even simple terms like amen. I like a good amen every now and again. And so uh, there we go. So, uh, but it's simple terms like that, and, and, it, and it starts to make sense in light of the context in which we read the scriptures and preach. So it's really good. It's really good for us. Um, but I think that video was a, is a great reminder of what the message was about last week. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. And he is our advocate. Amen? Yeah, he is our advocate. He intercedes for us eternally. He is alive. He died for us resurrected, and now sits at the right hand of the Father. And our hope is in Him. And that's what we, we talked about most of the time last week, um, last Sunday. And so I think it's, it's very key that we understand our fellowship is based upon what Jesus did. And our fellowship now, daily, is based upon what, where Jesus is at. Sitting at the right hand of the Father, making a way for us. He came in the flesh so that we could have a way to the Father. We separate ourselves from God. Our sin does that. We do that. But Jesus and His righteousness, He brings us near to God. And so we have a great gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and what He's done. Now if you have the Word of God, which I hope you do, um, I want you to turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. Verses 3 through 11. As you turn there, I want to ask everyone listening, podcast, doesn't matter. I want to ask you one question Do you know and love God? Do you know and love God? Most of us here would say yes to that question. Because to say no, it's kind of scary. And honestly, in our culture of nominalism, most people would say yes to this question. But John, he wants to separate. He wants to separate those who just say they know and love God. and Give assurance to those who genuinely do know and love God. So if you're here this morning, and, and you know and love God, I pray that this brings assurance to your faith. And it makes you stronger, more confident in what Christ has done. But if you're struggling, really struggling, and the Spirit is moving in you with this passage and what the Spirit's doing in you, I ask that you pray. 
and that you ask God to reveal to your heart that he would enlighten you, that your eyes will be open to the truth of who God is and what he's done through his son Jesus. So let's read 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. It says, We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys the word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard, yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light. And there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word that you would speak to us in our language. That you would humble yourself to do that for our feeble minds. God, we trust your word, that it is true, and that what it does in us and through us through your spirit is only by your power and by your grace. God, I ask that you would, by your spirit, reveal the truth to our hearts if we don't already know it. That you would convict and compel change us into the image of your son Jesus for he is the one who is worthy of all of our praise in Jesus name Amen so what is going on for John to write something like this to call people liars and to say some bold statements the truth is not in you um What's causing him to write this? What's the background of why he is writing this? If you go to 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, you'll see part of that background and why he is writing these things. He says this to them. He says, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Okay, so we understand from this verse that they had a group of people who said they believed in Jesus, but they left. They left. Not just that church, they left that faith. They didn't believe in who Jesus was like this church believed. They completely left the church. And because this happened to them, they were probably pretty confused. I mean, could you imagine? A large group of the oaks just jet for no reason. I mean, it would seem like for no reason. 
Um, so it caused confusion and started asking questions of how they left as believers. They believe that they are secure in Christ and what Christ has done. So their salvation has to be false. And that's what John says. He says, those who left, they were never of you. They were never of the flock. They were never of the faith family. They truly weren't of you. Nobody can just leave like that if God is truly has their hand on them, has grasped them, has pulled them in. Um, and so because they never really belonged to them, John says that they were never true believers. Now this brings up the issue at hand. This is how do we know a genuine from a fake? How do you know a genuine from a fake? And how do we know whether we are a genuine from a fake? This answers, this, this section of the letter answers that question. Answers that question at hand. And so I think that's why he wrote it. I think that's why he's writing this section. I know that's why he's writing this section. It's because they were struggling. They were struggling in the context of this. So I believe these sort of questions are being asked today. Maybe not because of this, but because there's a disease called nominalism, like I talked about before. It's running through our culture today, and our churches today. And, and some of you here are like, what is, what is that? I don't even know what that is. Nominalism is basically people identifying themselves with Christians for the name only but not really going beyond identification. It's just the name. I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. And that's as far as it goes. It's just words. This means people are going around saying, I love and know God and believe in Jesus, but they deny the very power of what they believe by the way they live. Only keeping just an appearance than actually a genuine change. Does that make sense? Now, how does that happen? How does nominalism happen? How does that happen within our culture? I think it happens through giving people a false hope. I think it happens when there's a false gospel even preached. I think it happens that way too. And so we don't want to be in that danger of that disease running through the church. We don't want to be just identifying ourselves with Jesus but not really knowing him and loving him. Because that's a false hope. And that's scary. But John here, I think he speaks right to us in our culture today. And he says, look, do you know God? And do you love him? Because if you do, if you say you do, these things have to be. They go hand in hand. It cannot be that you say you are this and you live like this. And that is not popular. That's not. I know it's not. That's not the thing that's being preached now. But that is what it says. We just read it. And it's so clear cut and dry. 
and sometimes it's hard to hear those words because it doesn't sit well with us maybe. But I'm not, I'm too convicted to preach something other. I can't preach something other than what's here. That's what I have to say because it's there. So this is a relevant, this is, this is very relevant message to us, I believe, today. And John is giving us some key tests for us to have assurance of our salvation and to know it as best as possible those who are not truly of us. So let's dig in to what John is saying here in this section of his letter. So he says in verses 3 through 6, it's kind of the same idea. We know that we have come to know him if we have kept his commands, if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. Those are, those are bold words. He is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. That last verse can scare people. You must live as Jesus did. Don't let that scare you. I'm going to talk about that in a second. So verses 3 through 6, basically, here's kind of the point. Those who know and love God are obedient to Him and His commands. I think we all can get that through that, that, that 3 through 6. All those who say they know and love God and truly do know and love God are obedient to Him. They live obedient lives to everything Jesus commands and everything God commands. They desire that. They seek that. They really want to obey God. So we see this connection of knowing and obedience right from the start. You really can't separate the two. They're inseparable. If you know, if you know Him, you are obedient to Him. Otherwise, you really don't know Him. That's what John is saying. But if we know God, this sort of teaching just doesn't make sense that you know, this idea of obedient living is not, it's not a popular thing, but many will say it's not necessary because God is a God of love, a God of grace, and He is. He is a God of love, and He is a God of grace. But if we know that sort of teaching just doesn't make sense because those who truly know God desire to be obedient to Him. To say that, oh, God loves you and you can just live how you want to. You can live like the devil. doesn't matter because God loves you. He's a gracious God. He's a patient God. He is all those things. But it just doesn't make sense to believe that sort of teaching. In light of the rest of the Scripture, in light of this Scripture, it just doesn't it doesn't flow. It doesn't fit. So those who know God, know, experience Him, truly know Him, love Him, they delight in His commandments because they desire to worship Him and delight in the very one who gives these commands. Our delight is the one who gives the commands. That's why we delight in the commands itself. If we didn't delight in God, 
and desire to worship Him, then the commands seem very harsh. But when we know the Master who gives the commands, it's good. Because we know why He gives the commands. He gives them because He loves us. He knows what's best. And it brings glory to His name. It's a picture of who He is. We are made in the image of God. And we should reflect Him. We should reflect Him. And so... Obedience is something from the very start that Jesus even requires. Just in the basics of the great command. What's, what's the great commission? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them what? To obey everything I have commanded you. You see that? Teaching them everything, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Jesus doesn't just say, teach them my commands. But the point of teaching is obedience. All of us here should not take should not only take that, that teaching very seriously, but we should live in such a way that we are teaching people to be obe- obedient to God. That the way we live is an obedient lifestyle that when people look in, that in and of itself is teaching people to be obedient to God. Here's a question. Can we disciple someone to be obedient, teach them to be obedient to the Word of God if we ourselves are not being obedient to the Word of God. It's impossible. You're living a contradiction. You can't do it. If you're truly discipling somebody, if you're truly investing in somebody, they will see you as you are. They will see you as a person who either loves and knows God because they, that you obey the commands of God, or that you really don't know God by the way you live. You actually love the world and the things of it. But have you let somebody in to even see? Hey, this is how you this is how you obey God's commands. This is what He has for you. This is how you do it in the workplace, in your home, as a father, as a mother. How does that look? We have to be willing to open up our lives to people. And I know from ex- I know it's hard. It's not easy to open your lives to people. But again, this is a commandment that Jesus gives us. He, he gives us this commission to go and to do. This is one of the things he tells us to do. And so are we going to hear that and push it to the wayside and say, I believe that, but not now, I'm busy. Because we do that very a lot. You know, I got this going on, I got this going on. I just don't have the time. I mean, would you tell your boss that? You ever work for somebody? You would never tell your boss that. Uh, you know, I know that you tell me, like, I need to do this, but I just don't feel like it. You know, it's not on the high priority. That would put you in some pretty good trouble, maybe get you fired. Why, why does it change? I mean, it should be even at a higher level when we're thinking about God and His commands. He's a good master. He's a great master. He's a loving and gracious master. And His burdens are light. It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not burdensome. It's, it's rest, actually, to obey God's commands. 
It gives you rest. It's not burdensome. When you know the Master, it's not. And that's why knowing and loving God and obeying the commands of God go hand in hand. Because if you don't really know Him, the commands just seem too demanding and not fair. Because you're in darkness. And that's what John's saying. You're in darkness if you don't you don't desire to do what, what God says. It's the light is not shown upon that yet. So I hope that makes sense in light of what 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 he's saying. I hope that all makes sense. So this idea of hearing a message in the word over and over coming to gather with the church and hearing a message over and over but never really changing or obeying what the word is saying, that is very popular. As long as we feel convicted, as long as we have an emotional attachment to what the message was, yeah, he stepped on my toes, man. You know, I, I hear people, you know, man, he stepped on my toes. You leave, you leave sad if all you do is hear a message from the, from the Word of God and you leave without obedience. You leave sad. Like the man who had all the riches and Jesus said, go sell it and give it to the poor and come follow me. And what did he do? He kept it to himself and he left sad. And that is what that looks like. When we hear a command from, from God and we leave not desiring and not obeying the command that He gave us, we leave sad. We just feel convicted. and We feel emotionally attached to the message. This is deceiving. That's deceiving ourselves. If we only hear the Word, but yet not actually obey what it says, like James says. It's deceiving. It's like looking in a mirror and forgetting what you saw. But why do we do that? If we do that, why, why would we do that? It's because probably we have some sin in our lives. And it kind of goes back to what John talked about before. He says, confess your sins. Confess your sins because Jesus is faithful. He's faithful to forgive you. So John, he makes that clear connection between knowing and obedience. He doesn't make it optional because he says that bold statement, if you don't, you're a liar. If you say you're this and you do that, if you say you know God and you live this way and you don't obey the commands of God, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. So it's not an optional thing. And there's no other way to say it but how John says it. So... But then he says something profound in the next verse, verse 5. Let's see what he says. He says, but if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in him. This idea of love for God. You see that connection? Love for God to obedience to God. He's actually kind of connecting it all together. Knowing, loving, and obeying the commands of God. They're all connected. But here we see the connection in the verse of those who obey God's word and those who love God. 
Think of someone asks today, do you love God? The first thing someone thinks of is how do I feel about it? That's dangerous. When you say, hey, do you love God? And the first thing you think about is, let me see what I feel about him right now. What's my emotional feelings towards him? How do I feel? That can be dangerous. I'm not trying to separate emotions and actions. Because they, they do they do go they do go together. But love is defined not as necessarily emotion. The way God defines it, even in first John, he says, Love is this that Jesus laid down his life. Now that's an action. That's an action. And he even struggled with it. That's why he was at the garden asking God to take this from him, take this cup from him. He struggled as a human with that. So he may have not felt all the way up to it because it was really hard. We couldn't even imagine what that's like. But he did. He did die. He did give up his life for us. And that is love. That is what love is. So love without, without action, if it's just an emotion thing, that's not love. That's not love at all. It's not. Because we see that definition very clearly in 1 John 3.16. 1 John 3.16, it says that. So John gives the connection that Jesus clearly gives to John and the disciples. We see it in Matthew. We see it in John chapter 14 and chapter 15. Let me read you some of those. Matthew chapter 15, verses 8 through 9. It says, You hypocrites, well did, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, The people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me teaching as doctrines the commands of men. John 14, 15, Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commands. You see what Jesus does there? The same thing John's doing here. He says, If you love me, keep my commands. And then in John 15, 9 through 10, it's even flip-flopped. He says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Wow. Did you just catch that? As the Father has loved me, this is Jesus speaking, so have I loved you. Can we fathom the love that the Father has for the Son? And yet his Son says that he loves us that way. That is amazing. He says, now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. You see how He flip-flopped it? First He said, if you love me, keep my commands. And now He's saying, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. You know what this means? They're so intertwined and they're so together that you can't separate love and following Jesus and His commandments. You can't. Again, I know this is not the popular teaching. But those who love Jesus and those who have fellowship with God, they cannot live a life of disobedience. They can't. And it's that simple. It's as simple as that. And that's what John is saying. Now the next verse in verse 6 that I said may scare some people, I want to 
feel like there may need, may, may need to be a little clarity because it scares people to say, well, now I have to live perfect. Because it says, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Don't let that scare you. Basically, those who know him must live like Jesus. That's about as basic as it gets. We understand that we have a great example, but we must imitate, look like. We also understand that we cannot be like him unless his spirit is in us. So don't think that you live like Jesus because you try hard and that you have it all together and you know the commands of God. You only look like Jesus because he is conforming you into his image. That's the only way. In, in, this, in, the book, in the book of 1 John, we see him talk about the Spirit as an assurance. He talks about right belief. He talks about the proof of the Holy Spirit in us and its effects in us and obeying Jesus and loving others. Those are the proofs. Those are the things we have to say, I have assurance that I know and love God. Obeying God, it just it causes us to look like Jesus. And Jesus obeyed his Father perfectly. Romans 8.29 says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of God. God has saved us not to walk in our own ways, but that we may walk as Jesus walked by abiding in John 15, 5, it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. See, you can bear fruit as long as you're attached to Jesus, as long as you are abiding in him. That's why I said, but don't think looking like Jesus is you trying your hardest to be morally correct. What it looks like is Jesus doing a work in you and conforming you into his image. And all glory goes to him. Because if it was us, then all glory would go to us. And we know that doesn't look right at all. And lastly, in, in 7 through 11, verses 7 through 11, it's very simple. He says, love one another, basically. He gives us, he gives us some, some words about this is an old commandment, and this is a new commandment, and there's com some confusion there because I thought you said it was an old commandment just a second ago, but now you're saying it's a new commandment. How does that all make sense? It's old because it goes all the way back in the time of Moses. And if you think about it, God is love. He's eternal. So just think about this idea of love, who God is. It says that in First John. That God is love. So it's, a, it's an old commandment. I think he's saying by new, it takes on a completely new character after Jesus came. It is true and new in Jesus and is now for us, those who abide in him. So you see, it's new because Jesus has come. We experience it differently. In Christ, the command to love one another it's strengthened. It's given more depth, meaning, and understanding. 
that we've never seen before Jesus came. It is true and new because of what Christ has done through His life, death, and resurrection. Because of the darkness and sin and hatred, that's all fading. And the light is here because of who we are in Christ. We understand that Jesus tells us to be the light. 1 John 4, 12, we see that no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and His love is made complete in us. Wow. The light is, the light is here, and the darkness is fading. That's what that means. When we love each other, when we love one another, God is an invisible God. We can't see Him, really. But when we love one another, He is seen clearly. What a privilege we have as the church of Jesus to love one another, to show the light to other people. So John, he gives that clear application in verse 9. Hating your brother or sister is not someone who walks in the light knows God. Those who hate their brother and sister are those who are spiritually dead, living in the darkness, don't know where they're going because they are blind by the darkness. It says that in verse 9, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. We know what it's like to walk around in the darkness. We stumble on things. We fall. We, we hit things that we're not supposed to hit. It's because the light is not on us. It's not shining on those things. But those that the light, God is light, those that the light is shining upon, they don't hate their brother and sister. They love. What does that love look like? It looks like a lot of different things. But it has to be sacrificial. It can't be love that, that, that takes nothing. You see Jesus in the way he loves in Philippians chapter 2. He says, have an attitude like me and love one another. And what did he do? Even though he had equality with God, he didn't consider equality with God. He humbled himself, came on earth. Not only did he come on earth and live with us, sinful people, the things that he created, come in that form. But he also died. And he didn't just die. He suffered on a cross, the lowest form of humility. So what does it look like to love one another? It looks like that. It looks like giving up your life for the sake of Jesus. Dying to yourself and living in Christ. That's what it looks like. Because we can't be selfish people who love one another. We have to be selfless. And that only comes through what Christ has done in us and being reminded of the gospel daily. So I'll end on this verse in 1 John 4, 7-10. through 10. He says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. 
Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as atoning sacrifice for our sins. As the band comes up, I want to take a time to respond to what the Word has been presented and the Spirit is doing in you. There's going to be people in the back, standing in the back near the wall. If you want to pray with them, they're there to talk with you. If you want to pray at the altar, if you want to pray in your seat, if you want to pray with one another, someone you trust, Just respond genuinely to what God is doing in you. Don't hold back. Don't suppress. Don't don't keep to yourself from what God is doing. Let God do a work in you. Surrender whatever that is. Confess your sin. Do whatever it is that you feel God is leading you to do. Secondly, I want to ask, I want you to think about this week and how you can love your brother and sister in Christ. What does that look like? What does that truly look like to love one another? Because it's very important that we love one another because we reflect God and His beauty and His glory when we do that. So let's pray. Ask God to, to work among us, to change us. to reveal whatever truth needs to be revealed. Let's pray.